Welcome to the SDA Housing Podcast, brought to you by NDIS Property Australia. Before starting this episode, we need to provide a general disclaimer. Information contained in this podcast is general in nature only. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. You need to consider your financial situation and needs before making any decisions based on the information in this podcast. And you should consider seeking independent and professional advice for your personal circumstances. All right, let's begin. Good afternoon, Min and Dan. Thanks for joining me today to talk about the recent changes in the pricing review. To begin with, I'm interested in knowing from Dan, how does the recent changes affect SDA providers? Okay. I went all over the SDA income changes here, yeah? Yeah, yeah, of course. Because, um, yeah, obviously across the board, the recommendations were generally uh, increases. But some very notable increases, particularly in approved livability. But two-bedroom uh, funding substantially increased as well. Some very strange changes to robust funding. So all of that affects obviously what happens in the market and what we can expect will come through. It affects our conversations with the investors that we're working with because their incentives change. In some ways... People that have built SDA or are currently building SDA, not with any attention to the fact that there might be a price review coming up, they just obviously built it up operating at previously pricing. They are delighted. <laughs> um, and I mentioned in you know previous conversation that we've had that a big part of the role, if you are working with investors that own these dwellings, they have anxieties and they've got... They're dealing with at the moment, you know, rapidly increasing interest rates, and yeah. perhaps they didn't um, account for those when they first started, or they didn't have enough contingency there for three years of a build. You yeah. know, and you know, so all these pressures that they have experienced. Yeah, if you're an SDA provider functioning in, in, in a market, you yeah. know, which is has people that need housing, but maybe not as much as others anticipated. Has a lot of pressure yeah. that can come down onto a provider from yeah. all sides. For us, it hasn't really changed how we do things. It's just eased some of the communication. Yeah, to be yeah. perfectly honest. And now that makes it sound like you know we're having difficult filling houses, which we're not. But you know the, the improved livability all of a sudden. That conversation about hey, we've got a person with improved livability funding. We'd like to house them becomes a lot easier yeah. because the funding has incentivized taking it on. I I love the fact that what it does is it equally represents that people with SDA funding more or less have an equal right to housing. Is that the message that government is sending with these pricing changes? You said that that the funding's incentivizing. Is the government trying to incentivize different behaviours with this funding? Of course. I mean, by by changing the numbers, to make it more attractive for the investors, they want to, the government wants to see more contribution to that little sector or quality contributability instead of HPS. Because we've seen too much uh, focus on HPS from the investor and construction builder side the last three years, four years. That it's an, it's the way they want to side the um the two participant funding. If you, if you look at the numbers, the three participant home total income is yeah. barely above the two participant house. 
which implies, well, why would you buy, build a big, massive house for three when you're not going to get much more money? So the government, in their own way, has, has incentivized the, the, the two-person-home or doily environment and the approvability because of those changes. So, yeah, that's their way of, of tweaking it, yeah. I view it as a correction. Mm. Is that there are implications from the previous funding, which were three-bedroom, high-physical-support dwellings. They looked at the results of what they produced and then they have decided they needed to correct according to the result that they're hoping to achieve. Yeah. And the question for you, Min, is what do you think these changes, how do you think these changes then affect the market? Well, it creates, I don't like the word, I don't like to use the word discrimination, but when investors are discriminating by choosing one cohort of participants, because that's where the funding is, it was just unfair for the market itself, for the participants themselves in general and the providers. So we're having a more of a level playing field for improvability as almost the same or very close to the income that people wanted. It provides a, f- a fair playing field so that we don't discriminate anymore amongst a robust, or sorry, an FA versus an IL versus an HPS. It's very similar now. But what about a robust? Well, that's a problem we haven't seen resolved yet. Mm. It's still going to be an attitude from, from investors to say, well, why would I build a four-bedroom, three-bedroom house for one tenant? Yeah. For that small amount of money, we're not going to build a HBS or FA or IL for the, the maximum income possible. Yeah, and, and then all, that's, the, that's the financial answer to that question. The, the logistical issues also, land availability in certain pockets of suburbs to allow for that design home away from certain parts of the community yeah. given their space. So that's also a, a land supply issue as well. Yeah. yeah. I think the yeah, the robust is very strange. The robust two bed funding is higher than single resident funding now. So they've incentivized the building of two resident houses. But in our experience from a provider, yeah. it's very rare that we can get people with two bed robust funding. Well we, they are certainly out there and we do have some in the housing, but for the most part our robust funded residents need to live by themselves. Yeah. So you're getting this discharge between people that need their own dwellings and what's been incentivised is actually two-bed dwellings. So you just have two-bed dwellings filled with one people. That's what's going to occur. This might be a naive question and it might be showing some of my biases, but as someone who's lived out of home since I was 16 or 17 years old, I I would never want to live with another person that I don't know, like a share house. It's just completely something that I would never want to do. Are there participants that choose to live in other with with other participants that you know? And are these their friends? Are these their loved ones? Or are these random people that they someone else is paired for them? I'll give you some common sense answers and also some facts from the housing hub. Forty five percent of the searches by participants online. Are for individual living environments. It's not even half. Which means fifty-five percent are not. Right. But you know, there's an old saying in life: you get what you're given, or beggars can't be choosers, right? And if you've got nowhere to go, and you're given a three-bedroom funding to live in a house, and that's all you got, you got to take what you got. So, do they all want to live in a group home or or two resident, three resident home? Yeah, no. That's the answer. They don't. They don't all. We certainly have residents that are happy to, yeah, yeah, or even want to, okay. Um, because that's the big- flip side of that is, is it can be lonely by yourself, right? And there is a lot of time that people with disabilities 
especially if you're relying on community access yeah. to go out in the community. That's a lot of time by yourself at home, but it is driven by what the NDIS wants to pay for. Yeah. And part of their mandate is to make sure that it is, I guess, done in an affordable way. Yeah. They doubt it. Yeah. Naive the money is yeah. the term. It's in there. Yeah. True. But now the new numbers are out. The robust villa, the IL two resident housing, the one resident apartment HPS—they're all roughly the same numbers now. If you look at the numbers, they're all 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, which is now before it was a massive thirty-five thousand versus yeah. eight. It's massive now. But you're going to think of, it's one piece of the pie. Yeah. SGA is one component, mm-hmm. so it's simply a rental subsidy, and the majority of the money is actually going towards core supports. Yes. And so the majority of the savings are how can we save our core supports? So we're okay to fund you for one-bed villas, yeah, but do it in a few so that you can share core supports. That's what they do. Or apartments, do it in a few. There's a reason there's no one-bed house price because they don't want anybody living on a parcel of land by themselves. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... They have definitely, I know that they have considered in this price guide how this fits in with core supports. Yeah. And so the flip side to that is, and I said that I would never want to do it, but I I have had people recently contact me saying that they have specific participants in in specific Indigenous communities or specific cold communities or, you know, specific from specific cultures that only want to be cared by people who understand their culture and want to be with other participants who have similar needs to them of the same culture and they want to be with multiple, you know, multiple people together. Is I, I believe that there's a number of how many people with disability can live in a premises. Is that right? Yeah, there's a limit of five uh, for SCA, which being in group home. Not that there's a lot in the market. Yeah. Three is typically the maximum. That we we see, but yeah, you do see four and five bedrooms in each region. Yeah, a small amount of those. Yeah, okay. People are talking to. We're talking about fifteen, or you know, uh-huh. multiple people, and potentially buying large blocks of land and having, you know, that, that's that's that's, that's yeah. there. That's, yeah, yeah. So that's these are separate dwellings in that case. Separate so a one. Block. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a density restriction that you can't have more than fifteen or ten depending okay. on your composition of dwellings right. in that place. Yeah. So that that's a factor. Yeah. And then you've got just going back to the price, got it. Of course, you've got OOA payments that yeah. you can receive. You know, ten is your caps there. Yeah, I understand that. You the the, the well, my my understanding is that the reason for capping how many people is also because we don't want to create institutions, that it's about, you know, but is there an argument that if people of the same culture and background want to live together that there is a place for more than five in a a home or does the funding just not allow that? So like a six bedroom home? There's a limit on capping. Yeah, 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 it it doesn't, they won't fund that. That would be... Legacy that that meets their definition of legacy. Well, it doesn't because legacy is older housing. Yeah, they just got drawn a line in the sand. It's no five bedroom. Yeah, okay. uh, no, no more than five bedrooms. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, there are there are ways that you just have different dwellings. The average is one point eight. One point eight people per dwelling. That's an average of the one the one resident apartments. Yeah. 
the three resident, two residents in authority has been no, no more, no less than two, no more than four. So yeah. it's it's two or five, and that's it. Now this is probably a really stupid question, but why do we say dwelling? Is it because a home or a house has another definition? Well, an apartment's yeah. on a house. It's a um, home. Well, yeah, yeah, yes. Why don't we call them homes? The legislation, so the SGA rules refer to as dwelling. Yeah. yeah. And then and then the, the like definition of a dwelling is then broken down into different dwelling types. Yeah. It's, it's more of a design construction definition. You've got the yeah. home. Yeah. Which is really kind of just a, a house. And then you've got um, apartments and then villa slash duplex slash townhouses is okay. the Dwelling times. Yeah. yeah. So we get used to it. I guess it's yeah. become, it's interesting how the, the language of the legislation becomes the language yeah. of the sector. It, it's the same on on the audit side. You know, I talk about governing body where you would never say you have a governing body, but the, the legislation refers to the management team as the governing body. You know, or we talk about participants as opposed to people with disability or, you know, I, I think the language does there, but I, I was always wondering why we were, why why we don't just call them these people's homes or accommodation and in there if you look at their registration categories there is accommodation and tenancy as a line item which actually refers to a support coordination function of helping people find accommodation yes. and so the confusion is constantly people come to me and they've registered for accommodation and they're like I'm a civil provider civil provider or I'm an SDA provider and I'm like, you're absolutely not. You've registered <laughs> and support coordination. <laughs> and not even support coordination, coordination of supports. So, you know, they, it, there's confusion. There's, you know, when I started doing this, um, when I started working with uh, with providers, when the NGS rolled out, we actually, there was no, it's much better now, but there was no definition table that explained so you you use the words core supports. The commission doesn't use that language. It's a, a certified provider. Mm. And there was nothing that maps the pricing. So the, the providers talk about the pricing. Participants talk about the categories, core supports, consumables, et cetera, the capacity building. We talk about line items when we're talking about billing, but the commission has its own 36 registration groups and they don't match. And so I actually had a whiteboard for years up on my office that I've created what I, you know, the first map that I ever saw was me creating it. And I gave it to everybody that I knew, gave it to all the auditors I trained with, all the consultants that I knew. So I was like, we need language. Yeah, it is. And I, I, when I'm auditing people, I say my job's a translator. I'm translating your practice into the commission's language. And you tell me how you conform and I'll translate that into the standards. And I think it's interesting that now, the SDA language has, is a different set of language. We're speaking a different dialect almost. Yeah. Well, it's, oh, look, I could talk about that phrase. It's our language changes yeah. in terms of, you know, the, the social work kind of background I come from. Yeah. So in Queensland, it was all consumer. Yeah. And consumer is what they say in HCAP. Yeah. <laughs> and consumer became a dirty word. And this naturally occurs. Yeah. You know, we don't use cons- yeah. We shouldn't use consumer. We will use participant. Yeah, and in SDA, the SDA conference that I that I met you at, everyone was talking about tenants, and for me, I was almost offended at the word tenants because I was like, no, these are people, they're not tenants. They're not. They're not people. You know, they 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 
our customer, mm. they're the reason that we're doing this. They're more than a See, to me, using tenant means that there's no distinction between a person being under the NDIS or that he's renting elsewhere. That's true. And so it's, it's, it's actually more inclusive to, in my mind. So I feel it being person-centered. I don't know. I've kind of we've forgotten the person has needs. They're just a commodity. It's a subject. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. I think it is. Yeah, interesting. It's an interesting station. That was all the questions that I had, and we kind of went off topic there, but it was very interesting to hear your opinions about the changes and also for me to be educated about the language. So you're definitely teaching me a lot. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I to be with you. Absolutely. Great. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you are subscribed and following us so you can keep in the loop with all of our upcoming episodes. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star rating, a written review, and to share this podcast with those that could benefit. Until next time, catch you on the next episode. 